facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to the program. So happy that you're with me. On this day, it's a, it's a pretty sober day as we remember, of course, the events of 9-11. Wow, 22 years ago today, September the 11th, 2001. Day that changed the world. We're so happy that you're with me. I'm going to be joined in just a moment by a very, very special guest. And we're going to start with that. We're going to get right into it. But I want to give out the phone number first, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Toll free to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. You can also email the program. Great to hear from you. Kale at RelevantRadio.com. C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com. Great to hear show ideas. Become a shadow producer. Want my take on something? Send me a link. You can also find me on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So going to hop right into it on this Monday. Going to get some Monday reaction, maybe overreaction. We'll see. My first guest is a 17-year NFL veteran, the 2002 League MVP. He's an analyst with the CBS Sports Network, the 33rd team. Man, the 33rd team does amazing, amazing work if you're a football fan. And also the co-host of Sirius XM NFL Blitz, great friend of the program, Relevant Radio super fan, Rich Gannon is on the line. Hey, Rich, how are you today? Okay, I'm doing great, and uh, happy Football Monday. And it was an exciting uh, first weekend of, of football. We had the Thursday night kickoff game. Detroit uh, obviously showed up and, and uh, played really well in Kansas City. Great uh, schedule of games yesterday. Of course, we'll cap it off tonight uh in new york with the uh, jets and bills getting after it it's uh it's what we it's what we live for you know if you're a football mm. fan this is uh the kickoff the nfl season and, and uh didn't disappoint week one yeah like your broadcast partner on sirius xm bruce murray tweeted out a couple days ago it's the most wonderful time of the year it absolutely is for football fans and uh, speaking of new york obviously we'll talk about the big game in new york tonight in just a bit but where were you, Rich, on 9-11? And, and, I mean, everybody has very vivid memories about where they were, what they were doing on that particular day. Talk to me about what was going on with you. Yeah, I remember it vividly. I was in Oakland. Uh, I was in the facility. It was, uh, it was a Tuesday morning, and uh, we were getting ready to play the Miami Dolphins. And I just remember coming in early, like at 7 a.m. I remember walking into the training room and it was, uh, it was just a kind of a, an awful feeling that our two trainers were there and the training room was empty and players it was the players day off. And I came in for treatment and to watch film and to meet with the coaches and, and they were watching, they were all glued to the television watching what was happening in New York city. And so I just sat there and we watched it and nobody knew what to do. And, um, I remember calling my wife and she was watching and, and so it was, we didn't know what was going to happen. Kale. We didn't know if games were going to be played that weekend. Uh, so I, I, I tried my best to go into the film room and watch some film. I didn't watch what I normally watch. I went home and everything on the news was just, you know, just nonstop. You just couldn't stop watching what was happening. And as the news was breaking and, and at the Pentagon and obviously at the world trade center and, and, uh, in Western Pennsylvania. And so you know, I'm from, Philadelphia, yeah. friends all across the great state of Pennsylvania. And so I was concerned. We had friends in D.C. I played in Washington. And so um, it, it was just in, in crazy. I, funny, I, I talked to someone this morning. I talked to Terry Bradway, who, uh, who I ran into this morning uh, here in, in New Jersey. And 
he was the general manager of the New York Jets at the time. And he told a story to me I'd never heard before. That Vinny Testaverde came into the facility and a couple of the players, and they went and met with uh, uh, the general manager, Terry Bradway, and they mm. said they weren't going to play. And so Terry mm. called Roger Goodell and said, that, right, we're not going to play this weekend. And that's really what was the impetus behind the NFL calling out the games for the weekend. Yeah. And, of course, we didn't play the games that weekend, and, uh, and, and rightfully so. We shouldn't have played those games that weekend. But it was just a uh, you know a moment in time I'll never forget. And certainly we remember uh, all the brave souls who uh, mm. sacrificed not only on 9-11, uh, but uh, in the fight uh, for freedom afterwards. But uh, what just uh, what a you know special day to remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, absolutely, my guest is Rich Gannon, former MVP quarterback in the NFL with the Oakland Raiders, now the Las Vegas Raiders. And, and speaking of New York, Rich, uh, obviously the Ground Zero was in New York City, and, and last night there's a very moving tribute before the Sunday Night Football game between the Cowboys and the Giants at MetLife Stadium. And tonight, uh, all eyes will be once again on that stadium. And new Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers, he, he's calling it now Jet Life Stadium, of course. And um, it's, it's interesting to me because I've been watching a little bit of, of uh, Hard Knocks on HBO. And I think we're get, kind of getting to see a different side of Aaron Rodgers. There's a guy who works with me at Relevant Radio, Rich Pazinski. He's a, our director of marketing, diehard Bears fan. And he's watching this, too. And he's thinking, man, I, I'm seeing another side of this guy. It's actually hard to dislike this guy when you're watching how he's, how he's interacting with his teammates. And I don't know if you've seen it, Rich, or what, what are your thoughts on, on Rodgers? Is his rejuvenation? Is this gonna, he seems like he's really ready to go, and he's really energized. I agree with you. I think he's got a lot to prove, Cal. I, you know, he he's a four-time NFL MVP. He won a Super Bowl earlier in his career. It's been a long time. I think he feels like there's some unfinished business. I think he you know, wasn't pleased with the way things ended. Uh, in Green Bay, I just think he's got a new lease on life. I, I, I really feel like he's excited about the opportunity in New York with the Jets. He's got a good young team around him. There's some talent on both sides of the ball, and I just think that this would be, uh, you know, just a crown uh, or a feather in his cap. You know, to be able to go into a, a team like New York and to, you know, take them to the playoffs, win a division title, and ultimately try and win a Super Bowl. I, I think they're good enough to do it, but uh, mm. it's not going to be easy. That's a very competitive division. New England gave Philly all they could handle yesterday. The Dolphins, Dolphins went out and played really well on the road against the Chargers and the Buffalo Bills. With Josh Allen, you know they've won three straight division crowns, and uh, <laughs> the quarterback Josh Allen is good enough to put this team on his shoulders. I think it's going to be a very competitive game tonight. I, I really can't wait to see it. And yeah, you talked about the other the other great teams in the AFC East. It's going to be a bloodbath in that division. I'm telling you. I want to talk to you about two up. In Miami, I mean, he he pitched almost a perfect game yesterday against the Chargers. Four hundred sixty-six yards, three touchdowns, and he didn't get touched. Really, he didn't get sacked. I mean, he was absolutely dominant. What did you get a chance to check out any of that game? And what are your thoughts on him? Because he he really had a lot of withering scrutiny on him in the off season. Yeah, I watched all the games. So I, 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 I whether it's yesterday, last night, or the film. We, we try and get, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about him all day, so we got to watch him. I, you know, he, I thought he made some great throws down the stretch. I thought some of the third down throws, I thought his movement in the pocket, um, it reminded me a little bit, Cal, of what we saw last year, uh, against the, the, the Ravens. You know, they were behind. Mm-hmm. He brought him from behind. He brought him from behind again yesterday on the road. He made some big throws and you, you mentioned 466 yards and, and three touchdowns. I think he and Tyreek Hill are, 
are hitting the ground running. Yeah. They, they, you know, between Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, they've got this is one of the fastest. This is, is the fastest, and more, <laughs> oh, most yeah. explosive offense out there. You look at the team speed that they have. I think Tua, if he can stay healthy, I mean, when he was healthy last year before the, the concussions, he was playing at a, a, a very high level. And I, I just think that he's, he looks bigger to me, looks stronger. I know he's put the work in this offseason, and, and uh, I think that they can keep this kid upright. He's got a chance of having a pretty special season. Yeah, we, we pray that he will stay healthy this year. He was doing jujitsu in the offseason, trying to learn how to you know, just fall in a way that he's not going to get hurt. And um, you know, some questions about the offensive line, but they sure did protect him yesterday. I want to stick with, which, uh, with the Dolphins just for one second because I want to talk about their coach, Mike McDaniel. One, the thing that I saw yesterday that really um, I thought was really powerful was his conversation with ESPN's Jeff Darlington. I don't know if you saw that, but... I did he, see that. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, like, it, when he talked about... When he was... I mean, obviously, he, he was a hot, young, uh, up-and-coming coach. He's with Atlanta in 2015, and he talked about how he nearly lost his career because of alcoholism. He said he was drinking every night. On a Wednesday night in the office in Atlanta, he's drinking. He was pretty raw and real about that, and I, I just thought I'd... How common, Rich, are those types of demons and coping mechanisms in the league? I don't know how common they are. I think we all have we all have our challenges. We all have our cross to bear. I think for him, it was alcohol. I, I thought the post-it note that he had. I think I can't remember exactly. Cal's eight hundred sixty-five days yeah. or something like yeah, that when he was like out of league. And, and you know, here's a, here's a young coach who got a great opportunity with Gary Kubiak in Denver. And he did some things. He showed up late to work a couple times, and and Gary just felt like he wasn't focused, and so he let him go. And and you know you don't get that opportunity very often to get a job like that in the National Football League, especially working for a coach like Gary Kubiak, who's won a Super Bowl as a as a coach and as a player. So, you know, I just think that uh, you know then he had to go back to the, the bottom of the barrel, kind of work his way back up. And you know, he did that in Washington. He got a chance to be with Kyle Shanahan, go to San Francisco, and really get the opportunity to take over a team at a very young age. And I think he realizes, you know, there's only 32 of these jobs, mm. you know, and, and he's being paid a lot of money. And the idea that he gets up and, and comes into work at three, four in the morning, whatever it is, I, th- I think it tells you a lot about how he feels about this opportunity. And, and uh, I, I think he's got a good young quarterback. I, you can tell it's, he sees the game through the eyes of the quarterback, the quarterback and, and, and the coach are joined at the hip, and I think they got a chance to do something special this year in Miami. My guest is Rich Gannon. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And Rich, obviously, is a former QB, former MVP of the league. One guy that has that kind of talent as well is, is Joe Burrow, but he didn't exactly show it yesterday in Cleveland. I, I, I named my fantasy team, Rich. He's, he's my quarterback on my fantasy team, the Federal Burrow of Investigation. I, I think... I think the real FBI might have to look for the real Joe Burrow because the guy who played yesterday in Cleveland didn't look anything like that guy, the guy who's now the highest-paid man in NFL history. <laughs> he just signed his contract a day before this. Were you shocked at how bad he and the Bengals looked in Cleveland? Yeah, you know, I, this is one of those situations where I think it's important not to overreact. He had an awful day, 14-31 for 82 yards. They only had six first downs, Cal. It's amazing when you look at the fact that they only had 142 yards of offense, um, they, 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 as the as an offense, they grossly underperformed. And I just think certainly the the weather had something to do with it. The, uh, mm-hmm. Sean Watson missed a lot of throws. Uh, you can tell Joe Burrow didn't look comfortable. Here's the one thing: when you don't practice, and he hasn't practiced, you know, he missed you know he missed almost a month of, of practice. He missed you know, three and a half weeks of training camp. When you don't practice, you don't play well. And I think that he looked rusty to me. I think everyone on offense struggled a little bit. The timing and rhythm was off. 
I think the defense played well enough to keep them in the game. But uh, you know, you go on the road against Cleveland, you don't, you don't, you know, you, you struggle on third down. They they give up some sacks. They had some penalties, and of course, uh, you know, it just wasn't 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 their kind of day. But I, I wouldn't panic. I think Joe Burrow is one of the best young quarterbacks in the game, and I think if history tells us anything, look how they started last year. They they couldn't protect in the first couple games of the season, mm, getting knocked true. around, they're losing, and yet. Uh, they somehow found a way to, to push the reset button and get right back in the in the race. So so don't drop them for my fantasy team just no, yet, which is what you're telling no. me. Okay, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. When you play, I mean, obviously the trend now is to kind of protect star players during the preseason, and, and a lot of teams will simply not play their stars at all during those games. But I, I don't know. Do you, how did you feel about that? Did you like to play in the preseason when you were, when you were in the league? Did you like those extra reps? Yeah, things are different. I, you know, I I wanted to play in the preseason. I didn't want to go into a game in September down in South Florida or somewhere with the heat and humidity. You have to play seventy plays and struggle a little bit with, with the conditioning. I thought it was important to play. I think it was important for the timing and the rhythm of the offense. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that. But there, there's all these coaches and general managers struggle with the fact that we're, we're paying a quarterback fifty million dollars, and what the last thing we want to do is send him out there and, and give up a sack and have him separate his shoulder and be out for eight or eight or 10 weeks. So, I mean, there's a, that, that's what's happened. The, the salaries have, have increased significantly, particularly with the skilled players that a lot of these coaches are, are reluctant. What they're doing instead is they're having these organized scrimmages. So you mm-hmm. get ready to yep. play the Cowboys, for example, in a preseason game week, week, week one. Well, what you do is you have them come in two days before and you scrimmage or three days before you have two days of scrimmage. What you can do in the scrimmages, there's no tackling. You're not taking players to the ground. You have more of a controlled environment where you can you can have a you know non-tackle period or non-contact period. You can do seven on seven periods and team periods and inside run periods where you're not worried about you know the running back getting taken to the ground or the receiver getting you know. So I think we're seeing more of that in terms of trying to get players and teams ready without uh, you know risking the the uh, the, the whole point of you know the risk of the injury they're trying to take that out of the equation yeah i, I like that and rich well, one thing i i read recently that i i thought was brilliant which i learned about the, these sort of joint scrimmages that are happening with other teams is it's a great way for coaches to hide players as well that they don't want other coaches other teams to see like playing in preseason games you know kind of flashing some stuff where they can kind of cut them after they have to get down to the 53-man roster and then maybe you know bring them back on the practice squad without anybody really catching wind of, of the talent that they've got Thought that was kind of a yeah. It's interesting, and you know the other thing is that you know we we only have the one cut down day now. So basically, every team had to let go thirty seven players. I mean, you know, so you you got over a thousand players that are that are out of work. That you know, and then some of them get signed back to the practice squad. But you know, it's a tough day. You know, that that those final cut down days. These mm-hmm. players that have given a lot of their time, effort, and energy to make a team. They showed up in the all season program. They're there for months. They're at mini camps and training camps, and they're trying to make a team they have young families are trying to make a living and so it's that's the that's the one part yeah. of the of the of the business it's tough but uh, you know this is a, a very competitive business i always tell young players the minute you think you finally arrived trust me the team's looking for someone younger and cheaper to replace you <laughs> yeah it, it is it is a harsh harsh reality that that's for sure and uh, rich there's so many things I, i'd love to ask you but just a couple more questions because i know you got to go um did 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 the Chicago Green Bay game surprise you in any way? And I I I tell you, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I actually thought the Bears were going to blow them out. Well, I was I was right about the blowout part, uh, but not about who was going to do it. Jordan Love did his best Aaron Rodgers impersonation: three touchdowns, no picks. 
How good did he look to you? He looked really good. I, I think I think he really benefited from the apprenticeship. You know, the ability to sit there for three years behind Aaron Rodgers and watch a pro work and prepare and study, and how he dealt with teammates and how he called plays in the huddle. And I think even some of the mechanics. I think you watch his stroke, his throwing motion. He, he can he can flick it. You know, he's got some real arm talent. And I think the play when he first came out, but I think now he is. And I think, you know, he was really impressive. You know, three touchdowns, you mentioned average nine yards per attempt, made good decisions, took care of the football. Um, on the other side of it, Justin Fields continues to struggle. I mean, mm. uh, he's extremely athletic. Uh, when he sets his feet, he can be accurate, but he, he's, he just struggles when he throws the ball from the pocket. They. You know, they didn't throw the ball down the field. They really struggled on third down. I think situational football continues to be a challenge for him. This is an important year for Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. He's he's a talented athlete, but in order to survive at that position, you have to be able to function from the pocket. That's an area where Justin Fields continues to struggle. Yeah, I remember last year, Richie, you were really concerned about his accuracy, and everybody's talking about him potentially making this third-year jump like Jalen Hurts did with the Eagles, like Josh Allen did with the Bills, but... Early returns, I mean, it's one game, right? I mean, and it was a sloppy game for sure by the Bears, but I did see him sitting back in the pocket a little bit. And like you said, he he did not look that sharp uh, when he had to kind of sling it. I mean, obviously electric with his feet, though, for sure. And all right, let's fast forward from week one. Week one, you know, is is somewhat of a mirage for a lot of teams. and uh, But in a few weeks, we'll, we'll kind of know uh, who, who's standing out. From the pack, and let me let me ask you for your championship game predictions and a Super Bowl call as well. It's so hard, you know. I I always, <laughs> you know, when you look at where we're at in the beginning of the season, we have such such a long way to go. Injuries happen; they're part of the game. I, you know, I, when I'm put, when I'm pressed on this, I, I simply defer to this. I always take the best coaching and the best quarterback play. And I think when you look at Kansas City, even though they got off to a rocky start, they've got one of the best coaches and play callers, and Andy mm-hmm. Reid. And a quarterback that is absolutely phenomenal. Didn't have Travis Kelsey week one. Didn't have Chris Jones, who I, I saw just signed his contract, a one-year contract. Oh, he did? Back the Chiefs. He did. So that's good news if you're a Kansas City fan. So but I look at Patrick Mahomes. They've dominated that AFC West. I still think they're the team to beat in the AFC. And I think on the NFC, it's a little bit more difficult to predict. But I would tell you this. The Eagles have phenomenal line play. They've got a great offensive line. They've got mm-hmm. a great defensive line. They didn't play particularly well yesterday on the road against the Patriots. They still found a way to get a W. I really like Jalen Hurts' game, and I think the Eagles are going to be a team to, to, to deal with. And the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys mm-hmm. last wow. night showed us. Uh, they're, you know, they've won 12 games each of the last two years. The problem with yep. the Cowboys is once they get to the postseason, they begin to pump the brakes. <laughs> they run out of gas, but uh, I think the Cowboys have a chance as well. Yeah, what a demolition of the Giants last night in New York. My goodness. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's going to be exciting to see what, what unfolds over the next few weeks. Rich Gannon, thank you so much for taking the time. One last question, Rich. When is our next tea time? When is our next tea time, my brother? Brother, I love to play with you. I listen all the time. You guys do such a great job. Uh, but, I, but you know, football season starts, Ken, and I put the clubs away. I get, I get, I kind of get... I kind of get dialed in to, uh, to the grind of the NFL season, as I did as a player and as a broadcaster. But uh, I'm, looking, I'm already looking forward to uh, heading west when the, when the snow starts to come down in, in Minneapolis. Love it, love it. Well, you can find Rich Gannon working hard at his craft. You can find him on the X app at RichGannon12 on the 33rd team. They do such amazing work. Check that out. And also on CBS Sports Network and, of course, 
his show on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, NFL Blitz with Bruce Murray. Rich, thank you so much for taking the time. Great to run you down, man. Take care. God bless, brother. Enjoy the game tonight. God bless you. That was Rich Gannon, if you need him. 2002 NFL MVP with the Raiders. We're going to be back right after this on the Kale Clark Show. On that September day Were you in the yard With your wife and children Or working on some stage in L.A. Did you stand there in shock At the sight of that black smoke Rising Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show. Of course, it's the anniversary of 9-11 where 2,996 people lost their lives on this day in 2001. So I want you to call in right now, 888-914-9149. And I, I want to ask you this question. How did 9-11 affect your faith life? Of course, we all remember where we were, what we were doing. And it's interesting, producer Jim and I were chatting before the show. Our parents' generation would tell us about the assassination of JFK, what was happening that day, where they were. Now we are telling our own children where we were on 9-11. But how did it affect your faith life? 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. And there were so many acts of, of true courage and heroism. And I, I thought this would be a good day to talk about maybe what, what the difference is between the natural virtue of courage and, and what's supernatural Christian courage is really all about. And there is a bit of a difference. There is a bit of a difference that we need to to look at. G.K. Chesterton, here's how he defined courage. And he was a great convert to the Catholic faith, obviously. The Chesterton Academies are flourishing across the United States. Chesterton defined courage as this. He, He said it's, quote, a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die, end of quote. A strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. Now, that, that sounds an awful lot like a contradiction in terms, but it, it's really not. It's not a contradiction. It's a paradox. A desire to live, but it takes the form of a readiness to die, to give your life. And, and Joe Rigney wrote, wrote a piece about this, and, and he said it's really kind of a double vision in, in a certain, in certain sense. There's something that you want, which is a good thing, but there's something in the way. There's something in the way. There's a want, there's a desire, there's something good. But there's also fear. You're afraid of an obstacle that is in your path, keeping you from getting it. And this, I've often heard courage defined as you keep going even in the face of fear. It doesn't mean that you're fearless. It doesn't mean that you don't feel fear. <laughs> Only people who are kind of unhinged don't feel fear. It's, it's moving forward in the face of fear. We see it in battle. I think about that, fa- uh, that famous scene at the beginning of the movie, Saving Private Ryan on D-Day. It's a tough, tough thing to watch, but that, that's a great example of courage under fire. Courage is when the desire for the good thing overcomes the fear, the obstacle. It's overcoming. It's overcoming. That's what Joe Rigney says, and he wrote a book about, about courage. 
And so think about what happened on 9-11. We had the FDNY, the NYPD, even, even civilians running into the towers to try to save more and more people. Like, like a parent would do anything to save a child from a burning home. That is a good thing, to try to save life. But then there's, then there's the danger. Then there's the fire, the, the threat of the towers coming down. And they did, uh, they did of, of course, crumble on 9-11. And so the virtue of courage was on display in spades on 9-11. But what makes the Christian virtue of courage different? There's a supernatural good that's attached. There's a supernatural good that's attached for sure. And I want you guys to call in right now. How did 9-11 affect you and your faith life? 888-914-9149. If you're calling right now, there's a very, very good chance I'll get you on the air. 888-914-9149. So when it comes to our faith, we have the greatest good of all that we're, that we're trying to achieve, which is, of course, God himself, heaven, life with the Trinity. That's our desire. That's, that's, that's our heart's, heart's deepest desire. And when we see this in the New Testament, we see somebody like St. Paul. Think about the letter to the Philippians. He's in prison. Now, at this point, he's not, he's not in the Mamertine prison in Rome. He, he's, not, he's not just about to lose his life, but he's getting close to that time. He's getting close to that time. He's probably under house arrest in Rome when he's writing this letter to the Philippians. But it, it, it's just marked with great joy. I mean, despite what his personal fate might be, he talks about the fact that to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. He said, I don't know what to choose. I don't know what to choose because to be with Christ is far better. It's far better. But for your sake, I'm convinced that I've got to remain in the body for now. And he just kind of knew that, that God was going to keep him where he was. So that's, that's the greatest of all good. And so his main purpose was to honor Christ in life, or in death. That, that's what God wanted. And that is what God wanted for him to give his life for the sake of the gospel. He said to live as Christ, to die is gain. And, and that's what enabled him to face that, that fear of death that was in front of him. And that's really the difference when it comes to courage from a Catholic Christian point of view. It's because we are looking at the ultimate good, the eternal good of God himself. Let's go to the phones right now. 888 9149. How did 9-11 change your outlook on faith? Let's go to Brian in Bangor, Maine. Brian, welcome back to the program. How are you? Hi, Kale. How are you? Am I coming in okay? You sure are. Loud and clear. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, obviously switched from football. I'd, I'd like to get into that a little bit, but I'll save it. It's a long season to a, to a very <laughs> serious topic of 9-11. Um, and yeah, it affected me. And I always bring out the same article every year. It was in our my uh, college uh, newspaper, and there was uh, he was a year behind me, but we we knew each other very well, and we we played a lot of sports, uh, you know, just pick up games and so forth at school. His name was Jay Corker, and, and uh, he was on flight one seventy five mm. uh, on his way to a, a job when it hit the at the tower and, and left, uh, left two children and his wife. And, um, and it, it, it never, never fails this, this day. I bring that out and I share it with my, uh, some people at work. And what struck me is you mentioned private Ryan was the scene where he's at the, he's at the 
um, I forget his, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the, the survivor at Private Ryan is at the grave mm. of, of uh, Tom Hanks and his face changes to, um, you know, many years older. And he yeah. said, I, you know, I, I, tell me I lived a good life. You know, please tell me I lived a good life. And, wow. you know, any one of us, any one of us in the graduated uh, that year could have been on that flight because our, our work required frequent travel um, away from home. And I had stopped that type, that line of work many years earlier. But whenever I, whenever it comes to this day, I just think of all the lives lost. Um, and I'm always just astounded at the amount of firefighters that, that died in, in that, in that tragedy. And it's just that live a good life. And that to me is the, is the lesson of nine eleven. Mm. That's, that's powerfully said, Brian. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Just, I love that image from the film. Just tell me I lived a good life. Tell me I, I didn't waste it. I didn't waste, uh, what you guys have done for me. And, and, we think about that. We can apply that to our faith life. Obviously, what Christ has done for us, He set us free. You know, what are we going to do with it? He, he saved us. What kind of lives are we going to live? Are we going to to maximize it for the kingdom, for that greatest good? In the end, that's heaven. Thank you so much, Brian, for that call. Please call back anytime, my friend. It's so good to hear your voice once again. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Grab your phone. Call me right now. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Where were you? on 9-11, did it change your outlook on faith? Did it change your outlook on the world? Were you, were you jaded because of it? Did you have a struggle of faith because of it, a crisis? Um, it was certainly a very, very sobering day uh, for all of us, and uh, the world was never the same after that for, for anyone, and it's just, we can never forget um, the heroism of that day, uh, those who paid the ultimate price made the ultimate sacrifice. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show, 888 I was talking earlier, obviously, with Rich Gannon from CBS Sports, former NFL QB. And, of course, all eyes are going to be on New York. And there's going to be an emotional ceremony, of course, before the Jets-Bills game tonight, MetLife Stadium. And Peter King and his um, Monday morning quarterback, um, uh, newsletter that he writes uh, for NBC Sports. He talked about uh, a connection from tonight's game with, with 9-11. Jets coach Robert Sala, who's who's a transplanted New Yorker, he he lives there now, and his brother was working in one of the World's Trade Center towers on 9-11. He made it out. He made it out, and the fact that he did uh, caused his brother Robert to change his life, change his path in life. And David Sala was trained to be a financial advisor for Morgan Stanley. He was working on the 61st floor of the second tower and David was able to get down the stairs got to the lobby he ran for several blocks before the tower collapsed and at that time his brother Robert was only 22 he had recently graduated from northern Michigan he, he was in a job that he absolutely despised he was working as a bank credit analyst and then he decided I gotta get out of this and he, he his heart wasn't in it and with his brother David coming so close to death almost losing his life he was only 24 25 years old himself Robert Sala said, I, I just got to do something I want to do with my life. And, and for him, it was, it was coaching, and that was a long and winding path, 10 jobs in 16 years. He was San Francisco's defensive coordinator in 2017, got to the Jets in 2021, and now he's coaching Aaron Rodgers. And um, he's going to be, Peter King asked him how he's going to feel running out of the tunnel 
uh, tonight, Monday Night Football, and he paused for about three seconds, uh, King said, before he answered. He said, before games, I get chills that run through my spine. I tell my wife we're so lucky. I get to experience almost every human emotion you can experience in a four-hour period. The ultimate highs and lows. What a gift to be able to do this for a living. In this game, the electricity, hearing the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 chants on a very emotional day for the city of New York. It's going to be special. It's going to be very special. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Roger in Detroit, Michigan. Hi, Roger. Hi, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Go ahead and share. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, enjoy the show and great topic. Um, the comments you made about courage and that, I agree. I think it's so important this day that people remember what it was like. Mm-hmm. I think there's a tendency with all the events in the world that people forget and to remember what it was like that day and how quickly things could change. And like you mentioned, the courage of the people running the opposite way, the the firefighters, the police officers. I especially think about the people on Flight 93, Mm. the courage that they showed, where you had these individuals for years that planned this, this horrific evil act and a group of Americans in 15 minutes doing the most American thing they could do voting mm. were able wow. to undo it and almost succeeded. Well, did su- succeed in foiling their plan. And that saved many lives. So, and, um, I never thought yeah, about it like that, it, Roger, it, the idea of voting. I mean, it's a very, uh, it's a very democratic thing. That's how they handled it. And they, and that's what they decided to do. And, and wow, that, that's, I've never heard that take before. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that was always something that that was moving to me that, you know, that they they reverted to the most American thing and prayer, too. Mm. Todd Deemer right. and I think Jeremy Bingham and the group of them that, uh, that really were the first, the first uh, warriors on terror, I think. Yeah. And, I, and I believe the Navy SEALs, when they, when they ultimately serve justice and the person who perpetrated it i believe they dedicated it to them the people on flight 93 wow yeah you could look at the, those guys as you said as the as the original combatants uh, in this war on terror wow that's that's perfectly said roger thank you so much for that call roger in detroit michigan thank you for your kind words about the program detroit is a brand new market for us here in relevant radio land and we're so happy to have the motor city on and you can find out all of our great stations on the Relevant Radio app. Download it today. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let's go back to the phones now. Let's go to Karen in St. Louis. Hi, Karen. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a first-time caller. I um, have been listening to Relevant Radio since um, probably about two months now. I uh, was raised Catholic and grew up, uh, sent my kids to Catholic schools, and then left the church for about 20, 25 years. And I recently was called back through the prayer for the Divine Mercy. I have been, um, I've returned um, and been filled with the grace. I, I always listen at 3 o'clock. I do the Divine Mercy Chaplet. All of those things mm-hmm. I'm saying because I want people to know that I hear on here that people are asking for prayer and they're not, some people don't feel they're getting heard. Um, my mother is gone now, but she prayed the rosary constantly for me to be returned to the church. and. Uh, for my soul and my children's souls. Uh, kids are still out, so I'd like to ask for prayers to bring them back to the church, but 
through my example, hopefully. But I also wanted to share what I, where I was on 9-11. Um, I've been a healthcare administrator all my life, and I was taking care of uh, senior centers, um, mm-hmm. assisted living nursing homes. And I had dropped my daughter off at the airport in St. Louis that morning. And um, when I returned, she was flying to Florida. So um, when I returned, I saw on the TV and all the seniors sitting there watching it, America mm. is under attack. America is under attack. I needed to maintain my composure for their sake and turn that off and redirect their focus um, so we knew more. But my heart sank, and my son shortly thereafter called and said, Mom, I'm going to pick up Amy. They, they, they turned her flight around and came back to St. Louis. It was a horrible day. Um, but the best part of it was that um, we all got together as a family in prayer um, for not only thanking God for saving Amy, my daughter, but unfortunately to pray for those heroes. I hate when this time comes around every year only mm. because some people focus on the terrorism. I want to focus on the heroes and pray for their families that, that lost out on them. Amen. So very, I just want to thank well you for said. keeping my call. Karen, th- thank you so much for calling. That's a beautiful, beautiful phone call, and and to the tragedy did drive many people to prayer and and back to God. There's no question about it. Churches were packed. St. Patrick's Cathedral, in New York City, jam packed. People pouring out onto the sidewalk that next Sunday, and, and I think it caused a lot of people to ask very deep questions in life. And the mystery of evil, for sure, is one of them. For sure, the problem of evil, and also looking to God. Looking to God, because the, the answer is a supernatural answer. Evil is a supernatural problem. We need a supernatural answer. And an answerer, and that person is Jesus Christ, for sure. So thank you so much for that call, Karen. It's so heartwarming also to hear incredible stories, miracle moments really like, like yours. The power of the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Drew Mariani prays it every day at 3 p.m. Central during his show right here on Relevant Radio. How many countless lives have been touched? Answers to prayer, not only from that show, but also, of course, from the Family Rosary Across America. That's coming up later tonight with Father Rocky, 7 p.m. Central. This is so crucial to what we do every single day. We bathe what we do in prayer here at Relevant Radio from top to bottom all day long on the network. And we're here to pray with you. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back after the short break with more of your phone calls, 888-914-9149. But I know Jesus and I talk to God And I remember this from when I was young Faith, hope, and love are some good things He gave us And the greatest is love And the greatest is love Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio and welcome to the program. Of course, this is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. If you're just joining us right now, we're asking you where you were on that day, what you were doing, and did it affect your Catholic faith? Positively or negatively, perhaps. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Jim in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Jim. Hey, happy Monday, Kale. In 2001, I was working for an automotive testing company based out of the Twin Cities here, and I was in uh, Germany. I was in um, talking to BMW and um, in Munich on Monday, and we flew up to Tegel in Berlin, where our subsidiary was, and um, spent the morning there. In fact, went for a run at lunchtime 
along the path where the Berlin Wall used to be, mm. came back showing up, and then we heard about the um, the plane crashes, and and of course we didn't get much, we didn't have much information at the time, and mm-hmm. all I could conceive about was like private planes, Cessna yeah. going into a exactly. tower or something like that. But um, as it became more clear, um, we skedaddled back to the airport, and everybody was just hovered around all the monitors, and it was it was chaos um, in the airport. Nobody knew what new security protocols need to be in place and so forth, but mm-hmm. we had to continue on our trip um, and went up to um, uh, to Scandinavia, but we were stuck in Europe for the entire week. As you could imagine, we couldn't fly, by, fly back home. Felt very far from home uh, that week. But what made it really much more tolerable was uh, the solidarity that I felt with our European friends. Um, there were lots of moments of silence. There were lots of um, you know people reaching out to us. They knew that we were a long ways away from home, and it really, it really helped a lot. Um, you know, just the the humanity um, of folks reaching out to each other. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear, Jim. And I, I, I think also a lot of people had the initial reaction that, that that you had when you first heard about it. I know that was the same for me when I was. This was during the time when I was outside of the Catholic Church. I was working in Protestant ministry before I came back home, and and I was driving to work. I was driving to the church where I was serving at. And um, I heard on the radio that a, that a plane had hit the towers, one of the towers. And I, like you, I thought it was a Cessna. I thought it was a private plane. And then I got to the office, and the senior pastor, who was an American, by the way, from Michigan, he he was absolutely distraught. He was watching on TV. He said, "You got to see this." So, I, so I together we we sat in horror as the as the second airline hit the other tower. And I mean, it was it was like a a movie that you never. <laughs> You never want to to become real. Um, an attack on America, and just processing that. I know it was very hard for him, being away from from family outside of the country, living in Canada at the time. But but uh, an incredible, incredible sermon followed out of that. He he preached on Psalm two on the weekend. You know why the nations conspire? <laughs> you know, the Lord laughs from heaven at those who seek to destroy and and fight against His Messiah, and, and it's. It was it was it was a very powerful time of, of prayer for everybody, um, and uh, I'm glad that you were able to get that that fellowship gem um, from Europeans uh, overseas. Uh, and yeah, what chaos in the in the airport? Nobody knew what was going to happen next. And man, it was. Uh, and, and we 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 can sometimes forget just just how the shock, the uncertainty, what was going to happen next. Is this World War Three? Nobody, nobody knew it was going to happen next, and um, it, it's so sobering to 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 get these calls and 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 hear your guys' perspectives on this. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Thank you, Jim. Let's go now to Bonnie in Fullerton, California, in Orange County. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Kale. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, like the other caller, I was in Ireland on that day, and uh, being in Ireland, they immediately knew it was a terrorist attack. And yeah. when we found out a plane had gone down in Pennsylvania, we didn't know exactly where. My sister lives in Pittsburgh, so I ran to the little local store there in the little town to buy a phone card. And the woman in the shop said, are you American? Do you live in New York? I said, no, I live in California. 
She said, my son called me last night. He's in New York, and he was going to go to the World Trade Center this morning, and I can't reach him now. And to this day, I have no idea if that woman's son died in the World Trade Mm -hmm. Center. So just, I mean, it was an American thing, a U.S. thing, but it it really wasn't. It was a very international incident. It was. So that, I experienced that. And then a few days later, I was praying, I was deep in prayer, just praying for mercy for all the souls of the people who died that day. And I said, Lord, please have mercy on them. They had no idea they were going to die that day. And I heard back, I've been warning them. And that really, it just kind of shocked me. And I thought, wow, we really, we can't take life for granted. We never know, uh, you know, when our time is going to be up. Mm -hmm. So um, I just wanted to share those two takes. Yeah, and I think, Bonnie, that, that's that's a great takeaway from this, to, to, to strive to be in a state of grace, because we simply do not know. Uh, in the Hail Mary, of course, you know, the second greatest prayer of our time, of all time after the Our Father, we pray. We ask Our Lady, pray for us now and at the moment of our death. And we don't know when that's going to be. Those are the two most important moments of our lives right now, because all we've got is the present moment. It's a collection of moments strung together, like those rosary beads as we pray them one after another. We want to orient them all to God, all the moments of our lives, all the joys, all the sorrows. And at the hour of our death, now and the hour of our death, I mean, those are the two times that are so crucial in our lives because there is going to be that. Not all of us have the chance to prepare for that last moment, let's put it that way. And uh, 9-11 is certainly one of those days when People were just going to work, living their lives, and and everything changed in a moment. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Nick in Baltimore. Hello, Nick. Hey, Kale. Thanks for taking my call. Sure 9-11 was, interesting. It was an interesting day. I left with my team members for an engineering task out in the West Coast. We left Baltimore at 6 a.m., so we were fully fueled, and I thank the good Lord that we were not one of the 20 planes that could have been selected for uh, mm. the disaster that day. Uh, this is the first time I've been able to thank anybody, so I'm going to thank the people of Lincoln, Nebraska, where we <laughs> landed. They treated us like kings and queens at the Cornhusker wow. Hotel for that week. They treated us with food for the whole week, the Red Cross, and I had a bad case of poison ivy. One nurse really took to me and helped me out a lot that week. So I thank those people of Lincoln. They're great people in Nebraska. Absolutely, in the heartland of America. That, that's a great, great thing to do. That's a great shout-out, Nick, to thank those people. That was Nick in Baltimore. Let's go to Esther in Northern California. Hi, Esther. Hi, how are you today? I, I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I'm from Watsonville, uh, Santa Cruz County in California. Okay. Um, yeah, I just want to say that when the uh, World Trade happened, it was um, it was actually the horrible thing. I was coming from uh, Las Vegas to uh, my house, and we made a stop in uh, Mammoth Lake for breakfast early that morning. And when we came into the restaurant, we noticed everybody was kind of silent and looking up at the screens on the TV. And at that moment, there was the second plane hit the tower, the second tower. And when that happened, everybody just screamed, and then we all start praying. Mm-hmm. And every time I think about that, it makes me cry because 
Yeah. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen. I knew everyone had died. And, um, but I just want to say that this day should be a happy day for me. Because two years later, my grandson was born. My first mm. grandson. And, um, mm. I haven't even had a chance. There was the second plane. It's the tower, second tower. And we're not watching everybody. Esther, Esther, unfortunately, we, your connection is breaking up, but but that's that's very poignant. Uh, the the juxtaposition uh, of death and new life, the the birth of your grandchild uh, two years later, and um, the gift that, that that life is, and how and how precious it is, and how tenuous it is, and and how you know tomorrow is not promised to us, and that's why we have to cherish every single moment that we have. Thank you for that call, Esther. Let's go now to Carl in Dallas, Texas. Hello, Carl. Hi, one of the things that um, this crystallized for me is good versus evil. And mm. um, I was a young man working at a high-tech company, and, you know, I studied history, and, you know, I had kind of a a notion of, you know, people doing good and people, you know, opposing the Lord. But this just made me realize, hey, you know, the people that are doing good and opposing evil, the sacrifice they're making, and it just kind of, just confirmed in me, you know, not a hazy feeling, but, you know, this is black and white. I have to make a decision and I have to count the cost and I have mm. to be, you know, with the people that, you know, are in the army of good and that, you know, this is a serious deal and I need to recommit myself to that. That's that a gr- very good point, Carl, that, that the reality of, of good and evil. And, and, and sometimes I think, you know, we for many, many years we had decades of relative peace you know things like this didn't touch us in, in north america and peter crave talks about having spiritual sleeping sickness sometimes we we need frequent alarms he says and this is this is not the kind of alarm or wake up call that you want to get for sure on that morning 22 years ago but yeah it was a stark reminder of the stark reality of evil and and also we saw so much good uh, the incredible sacrifices that were made on this day that we will never ever forget Thank you for listening to The K.O. Clark Show today. I want to thank Rich Gannon, my guest, who joined me earlier. Join me tomorrow for The Faith Explained, 1230 Central. Jim Shaper produced. Miranda Sinisteros took your phone calls. I'll be back again tomorrow on The K.O. Clark Show at 5 p.m. Central. Stay tuned for Timory and Father Rocky with the Rosary. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.